Now, I think you recommended Straw Dogs. It is simultaneously like the most depressing book I have read in a while, but also like (laughs) (laughs) like reading it. I was I was like, wow, this is we are not special at all. And we'll obviously talk about what that is. But but yeah, I was like I, I, I was never put in my place more by a book. But then also like really enjoying enjoying the experience of that book. So yeah, good wreck. I'm really excited to hear what stood out to you. I I thought it was a bad book. I thought he did a <laughs> oh, really, really half assed job of making his case. <laughs> Damn. Okay. <laughs> I actually that that when I was reading it, I was expecting Adil not to like this book. As I was reading it, I was like, <laughs> I have a feeling he's not going to like it. <laughs> what was the? Do you remember any moments where that stood out? Where you're like, a deal's not going to like this. Oh, I will <laughs> look in my notes. I think, you know what it is? I've noticed that like Nat and I are able to like go for a ride with an author a little differently. than. Oh, you. I went like, for the ride. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't mean you're not going for the ride. Adil like, is I'm so intellectually inflexible. No, he's not that he's inflexible. <laughs> he's like, he's like, okay, this is my read on it, right? It's like, you. this is a good way to read a book too, by the way. I wish I, wish I did this more. You like have a debate with the author in your brain as you're reading it, which is great. And I will just like I did buy, in this book. Yeah. I will just buy any premise an author throws at me. They're like, <laughs> yeah, one plus one equals three. And I'm like, cool, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm willing to go for a ride with things I disagree with. This was just it just struck me as very poorly substantiated, unless you were like entering with already accepting all of his premises you're like okay i agree with literally all of it so i'll just listen to him ramble across like 35 chapters about <laughs> why humans suck and like cities are the worst and progress is fake and like the world would be better off without us and like he so, really so lost me part- at the end where it's like this guy lives in a city and he's like oh the paleolithic era was better i'm like dude just go then like Put your money where your mouth is, like disconnect, get out there, like do something that suggests you believe half a word of what you're saying. I, I think we have different reads of the book. I think that's where this disagreement is coming from. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think like he didn't not say those things though. So like, I don't disagree. You're not wrong about that. But like, I, I was reading more into the similarities, I think, between what James Lovelock said in uh, Novacine and this book. I thought yeah. there were actually a lot of parallels there. Where he was like the Earth, the, like the the Gaia hypothesis, basically being, I think, pretty aligned with what Straw Dogs was about. One fun note on that: my my friend Zach Batier is the one who recommended this book to me originally. Actually, he also recommended Novacine. So yeah, this is I thought like so. The, the Zach combo, <laughs> but Lovelock and Gray were friends for like decades. Yeah, that makes so, sense. <laughs> like, there, there's definitely some like overlap and cross pollination there. There was a lot in here that I agreed with, though. Like, I didn't buy his the thrust of his argument, but there was I was highlighting left and right. Um, so I'm pretty eager to see what stood out to you guys. And yeah, how would you summarize this? Well, why don't Neil? Why don't you go for it? Since mm. I think you have the you took most of it. Here, wait, wait, wait. I have, I have a hold up. Wait, don't say it. Now. I have a fun, <laughs> I have a fun exercise for us that we've never done before. But this this Ooh. could be an interesting way to do this. Let's all take. 30 seconds and write our own answer to that question on our computers. And then, and then we'll share them because as soon as one of us shares that answer, it's going to bias the other two. <laughs> so I think like, it'd be fun if we wrote it pre bias and then said it, and we can just cut some of the silence. What, what the book is about basically. Yeah. Like what's, what's it about and what's it arguing? Okay. I accept. All right. I just sent mine. Oh, should we send it? Okay. I like that. Okay, I'll send mine. <laughs> mine is so much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, did you read the book or a summary of the book? <laughs> no, dude. I have like, like ferociously Googling. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have like a, I have like dozens of highlights here, but I think that's like the way to I would summarize it. This is interesting. So yeah. Neil and I summarized very similarly. Nat, you took it a little further than we did. Okay, so Adil, why don't you read your summary? Okay, here's my summary. My summary is, humanism is a secular extension of Christianity, which accepts Christianity's conclusions about humans being special without accepting its premises, which makes it a philosophy built on sand. 
rejecting Christianity's premises means rethinking the conclusions as well from first principles. And these first principles suggest, per John Gray, that anthropomorphism is bad, humans are by their nature immoral, inconsistent, and also bad and destructive, and that human progress is a myth. Even though knowledge is expanding, progress is not real. All right. And then my summary was that we have a new religion of faith in ourselves and in progress, and believe that through progress and self-control, we can make ourselves and the world a better place. While the world is getting better, most of the sense of control is a myth. And by obsessing over controlling our reality, we often make things worse, realizing how little is really in our control and how animal we are at root would give us a healthier outlook towards life. (laughs) And mine is humans aren't special and human and universal rights are descendant of Christianity. I actually think we got a similar read to the book. I think that you, the one point you brought up, which is we didn't touch on, I think, is this new religion of faith and progress. That that is the new religion, basically. I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, we can we can marry these, I think, pretty well, and I think we do actually end up with a better summary than any of us could have done individually, right? Which is, it's like, wow, it's the melting pot, guys. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're so smart. Nice beige description. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Niels isn't doing much work here, but Niels No, so it's like I, I think I think what he's doing a really good job critiquing up, and I'll, I'll also add in that I've read two more of his books, so mm. I think that's probably giving me like it's hard to disentangle some of the ideas. But we had the Christianity-based, you know, Western philosophy for the first what, 17, 1800 years. And then sort of like around Nietzsche's era, we tried to create morality without Christianity, right? And that's sort of like a deal's point is that we're trying to maintain Christian conclusions that, you know, humans are special and you had some other good ones there. That uh, humans, humans are special that, you know, we're like chosen in some sense. We have morality um, but we're trying to maintain that while rejecting the Christian premises. And the where we end up from that is this modern philosophy of humanism, that humans are just inherently special, that we are, that we have a self, that that self is in control, that we can like influence the world and make it better. But a lot of that is basically a myth. And at the end, I think what he's really, I mean, I, I do think that kind of like, Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. It's like ultimately an advertisement for Taoism, but in a like very roundabout sense. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that does feel sort of like where he's leaving off at the end uh, is like it, the, the last line of the book is really good where he just says, Learning to see. Uh, yeah, other animals do not need a purpose in life. A contradiction to itself, the human animal cannot do without one. Can we not think of the aim of life as being simply to see? All right, so there's there's this like fundamental idea that we can set goals and achieve things in the world, but like in general, that tends to not work out in practice, and we're much more like animal driven than we like to admit. And I think Gray is arguing that, like, starting with Christianity, we tried to deny that. And then as we lost some of the deep faith foundations of Christianity, we tried to maintain it through philosophy. And then I'd say now through, like, science and politics. And, like, it's all fundamentally failing. And we just have to realize that, like, humans aren't special. But that will actually, but I think this is the difference between me and you, Adil, is like, I think you're seeing that as a negative thing, or you're interpreting his argument as a negative thing, right? Like, humans are bad, humans by nature are immoral and consistent. I don't think he's saying it's bad. I think he's saying, like, it's fine. It's bad that we're denying that. Yeah, the bad thing is the denial Yeah, I, that part I, yeah, I do take issue with that, but mine's like one level deeper than that, which is, I just don't think that his observations are true. Like, from his perspective, he basically is arguing that, like, progress is fake and all these structures that we've built that advance this idea of progress have all failed. But it's really hard to look around and actually say that. No, that, that idea I totally, has I'm on the same page with you on that, uh, Adil. That's the thing I, I like, I disagreed a lot with a lot of things he said while still enjoying the book. But, like, I think that was the biggest one where I do think objectively, like, 
I mean, I guess it's also like a who's the subject, right? Whose perspective are you looking at it from? Because from the perspective of the Earth, which is kind of my contention with the Gaia hypothesis as well, the same. I have the same issue with it. It's like if that is the the subject is like from the perspective of the Earth, humans are kind of terrible for for the Earth. But ultimately, it's not going to matter whether it's like a human or a locust like destroying the like you know it kind of doesn't matter. The Earth will be will yeah. be fine no matter what. I think from the perspective of humans to argue that there hasn't been progress is absurd. Like from our perspective, there's been tons of progress. I think we need to be really clear what we mean by progress though, because he doesn't mean technological progress. He means like moral progress, individual, moral species. Like, yeah. like that the human you can make the argument there has is not, not actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we are no happier today than we were that's a great point three thousand years ago yeah we're not necessarily more ethical than we were three thousand no, years ago so. yeah. we don't have stronger communities we're not better stewards of our resources or each other right like all of the fundamental human nature things that we are uncomfortable with are still there and yeah. still like rear their head in like probably equally bad ways to how they did in the wild so, like, yes, we have cities and the internet and all of these things, but, like, you, the individual, are not at a, like, deeper level necessarily any mm. better off than you were. And so what exactly has all of this progress gotten us? Hmm. I think that's well, you as the individual, what means by progress. You might be better off, but you're not... Like, the firmware you're using is the same. The firmware hasn't really advanced. Right, the progress is all environmental and everything else. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that even like even not just the firmware, but like the. I mean, I, I think we can just use a metric like happiness, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I I think you'd have a hard time arguing that the average person today is like has a moment to moment happier existence than they did three thousand years ago, right? I think that's sort of. Yeah, the crux of his argument. Hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't get that from my reading of the book, but I'm just rethinking through the arguments he sets up now under that definition of progress. And uh, actually, like he actually made that point a couple times where I didn't see it. Why don't we go through the general thrust of his argument in the order that he presents it? That's kind of a challenge because you are right that he's not super structured. No, I was going to say this is kind of like a series of it's kind of like a series of essays. Frankly, I mean, the, the, yeah, way the book is it written. feels very essay-ish. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, there are like yeah. themes like he has he has them organized under. So the like subcategory titles are like the human. There's the deception. There's the vices of, of morality, the unsaved non-progress as it is. And th- those are like the six the six sections. Then under those, those are just like, there's just like random essays, some of which are like two sentences long. (laughs) Um, And some of them are like, you know, much longer. I found one of one good quotation that I highlight that I highlighted that catches some of it. Uh, Philosophy has been a masked ball in which a religious image of humankind is renewed in the guise of humanist ideas of progress and enlightenment. Even philosophy's greatest unmaskers have ended up as figures in the masquerade. Removing the masks from our animal faces is a task that has hardly begun. Other animals are born, seek mates, forage for food, and die. That is all. But we humans, we think, are different. We are persons whose actions are the results of their choices. Other animals pass their lives unawares, but we are conscious. Our images of ourselves is formed from our ingrained belief that consciousness, selfhood, and free will are what define us as human beings and raise us above all other creatures. In our more detached moments, we admit that this view of ourselves is flawed. Our lives are more like fragmentary dreams than the enactments of conscious selves. We control very little of what we most care about. Many of our most faithful decisions are made unbeknownst to ourselves. Yet we insist that mankind can achieve what we cannot, conscious mastery of its existence. This is the creed of those who have given up an irrational belief in God for an irrational faith in mankind. But what if we give up the empty hopes of Christianity and humanism? Once we switch off the soundtrack, the babble of God and immorality, progress, and humanity, what sense can we make of our lives? 
There's a bit in the book where he talks about the white ants and how uh, white ants, termites, they, in the hive, they basically have like a collective soul of the hive, right? As opposed to an individual soul. I mean, then you're describing there the faith in mankind, which uh, my interpretation of that quote was mankind, like plural, right? Yeah. Humankind. How does that square with if, if the collective soul can be a good and the individual is not necessarily good, but the collective soul, the group, humankind, does progress, how does that square with the rest of his argument? I'm trying, I'm trying to think of how it fits into what you were saying earlier. Like, does it matter if the individual doesn't progress massively if humankind is able to progress? Does that mean that, like, the species... Because he's basically saying the species is bankrupt because the individuals have not progressed. But if humankind progresses, then can you really argue the species is bankrupt? What does progress mean in this situation? So if the individual, for example, is unable to, like, let's use the argument around morality. He basically says that, like, morals fluctuate. What's in now is out later. What's out before is in now. And as such, it's not even like a real yardstick because they don't really exist in nature, right? But there are certain things that, well, actually, I was going to say this as though it's agreeable, but it actually might not be agreeable. But if you think of like a justice system, right, it's basically the individual outsourcing decisions on like ethics and morality to a government. And now the collective is better able to enforce norms across a group, right? And those systems have certainly gone better with time. I think that's pretty apparent. So I'm trying to see like, I'm having a little trouble formulating the question. Does his argument that like progress is fake, but, and that the human species is bankrupt, does that square with the fact that we have made progress in these other realms, such as the justice system, like social services, things of that sort? I'm not sure if he thinks humanity is bankrupt. Where are you getting that part of the argument from? I mean, the, cause when I, I'm reading it more on an individual level, at least like that he talks stuff. He talks about like mankind as a whole, but I'm reading it as a little more individualistic of a philosophy. Mm -hmm. Like in the sense of you need to decide how you think about your life and, and like what values you commit to. And if one of those values is a general faith in mankind, you're probably going to be disappointed. I was reading it also more in a more in like an evolutionary uh, sense where like he keeps bringing up that humans are no different than other animals. And it's like we are not optimized. Like one of the I guess my way of putting one of the things that he was saying is like we're not optimized to progress from a technological or moral perspective, it's like we're we're designed for survival, propagating ourselves, you know, the same thing that every other animal is. So, Adil, kind of like what you were talking about for the termites, like, is our moral structure... This is a really hard thing to put into words, actually, now that I'm trying to formulate the thought yeah. as well. It's like, is our moral structure... Is that like the so the way like a hive is like the superstructure and like the the being or the soul of the hive is really like it's the emergent property of all the individual termites and all the individual bees or whatever? Is our moral structure like an emergent property from the individual? Like, does the individual matter in this case? Right? Like, are we like little termites and like our individual thoughts and stuff are not really that important? It's like the emergent structure that matters. Or is it to what Nat is saying, like the individual is the perspective? Like, I think a lot of his, a lot of the disagreement on this book is probably just about what perspective you're like reading it from. Yeah. Nat, we I'm don't need to choose more from, them. we can discuss. Yeah, exactly. No, no, exactly. That's what, both, yeah. that, yep. that's what I'm saying. Like, Nat, I think when I read it, yeah. I was reading it more similar to you, like the perspective of like the individual. And I was like, okay, yeah, like this, I can buy this. But I think. Adil, you're bringing up a really good point. Like maybe it's that's not the view to look at it from. I think we we can go down we can go down that route a little bit because he does have this quotation later on talking about yeah relying on like humanity at large and like the the problems with that in progress. 
It's no accident that the crusade against drugs is led today by a country wedded to the pursuit of happiness, the United States. For the corollary of that improbable quest is a Puritan war on pleasure. Drug use is a tacit admission of a forbidden truth. For most people, happiness is beyond reach. Fulfillment is found not in daily life, but in escaping from it. Since happiness is unavailable, the mass of mankind seeks pleasure. Religious cultures could admit that earthly life was hard, for they promised another in which all tears would be wiped away. Their humanist successors affirmed something still more incredible, that in the future, even the near future, everyone can be happy. Societies founded on a faith in progress cannot admit the normal unhappiness of human life. As a result, they are bound to wage war on those who seek an artificial happiness in drugs. So I, I, he might actually be saying that things are worse because of this philosophy, right? That like there's, it would actually like this faith in progress and this faith in humanity and like belief that the world can be amazing for everybody right now is actually much more harmful than like, yeah, this life sucks, but, it, but your next life could be great. Right. Or, you know, the four noble truths or something like that. That's kind of compelling, right? Like, I mean, happiness measures are sort of impossible to do. Right. That, yeah. That's part but of like, it's also here. an odd but metric. Most people, most people in the world are not spending their Tuesday afternoons, like talking to their friends on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like, or I mean, like, you know, we could take another example, right? Like, yes, we have progress in technology here, but it's led to like massive slave colonies in the Congo. Right. So like, so are you, that is that like actually externality good? out from your, are you like yeah. exporting the unhappiness essentially? You're exporting the suffering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know if I would choose happiness as the metric. If I was judging the progress of the collective, I'd probably look at like, you know, quality lifespan to start like infant mortality, hunger, things of that sort before I would look at happiness. Like survival. Really? So it'd be better to have long living people who were miserable than short living, happy people. Yeah. Maybe not lifespan, but I mean, let's start with like famine and violence. Wouldn't that be captured in happiness though? Like nobody who's in war, nobody, nobody who's in war or starving would be happy. That's fair. But I, I do think there is a, there is a element of the human condition that you mentioned where it's like, you can be in the U S and have or like anywhere where life is just great and still be unhappy. Right. You could kind of have everything that you happens need. all the time. And <laughs> yeah, I think that yeah, is, yeah. I think that, I mean, that's one of the points I that that the human condition that too. I strongly yeah, agree yeah. with. Yeah. I think that's completely true. And I think that actually ties into what we're saying is that yeah. he's saying that also on the individual level, you know, like the, the, the semi-default state is suffering and a faith in science and technology and progress to fix that suffering for you is a losing position. Like you are just going to be unhappy. The, there are two point points that. he made earlier in the book. I'm just looking through my highlights here. And these are like very counter to what I was saying earlier. The first one is short. The second one's a little bit longer. Short one is humanity does not exist. There are only humans driven by conflicting needs and illusions subject to every kind of infirmity of will and judgment. I don't have the rest of the quote, but I can imagine what comes around it, right? It's like, if everyone has such conflicting needs and illusions, then it's very hard to say what the collective is. And then the second quote, which kind of expands on that, is controls on technology cannot be enforced. The genetic modification of crops, animals, or humans may be forbidden in some countries, but it will go ahead in others. The world's powers can pledge that genetic engineering will have only benign uses, but it can only be a matter of time before it is used for purposes of war. Perhaps the world's most unstable states can be prevented from acquiring nuclear capability, but how can biological weapons be kept out of the hands of forces no government controls? If anything about the present century is certain, it is that the power conferred on humanity by new technologies will be used to commit atrocious crimes against it. He like speaking of technology, he does have a uh, a section which is I think like really does a good job of pulling this like human and animal dichotomy away as it relates to technology. So he says this is from the book: uh, cities are no more artificial than the hives of bees. The internet is as natural as a spider's web. As Margulis and Sagan have written, we are ourselves technological devices invented by ancient bacterial communities as means of genetic survival, which is absolutely true. Like our mitochondria were 
which is in every single one of our cells, was originally a bacteria. And that's what created eukaryotes, which is what we are, uh, which is amazing. And then like later on in the same section, he says, if we are replaced by machines, it will be an evolutionary shift no different from that one bacteria combined to create our earliest ancestors. Hmm. It's like it's like, yeah, maybe there's more, I don't know, thought, but like at our level, but I don't like I actually think that's a really good analogy. Yeah. Like it it like technology is not a human centric only, like a human only thing, I guess. Right. Like it's like, yeah, humans do it this way, but you know, the fact that eukaryotes exist is just like insane if you think about it. It's just like we take it for granted. <laughs> totally. I was sending you guys those essay ideas like a week ago. And one yep. of them was yeah. uh, Nick Bostrom's The Vulnerable World Hypothesis. And I think a lot of what he talks about there, he would agree with what John Gray is talking about. Where basically the premise of the Vulnerable World Hypothesis is that we are going to continue creating new technologies. And eventually we might create one that is extremely destructive. And by way of example, he gives the example of uh, what if you could have created a nuke you know, over a kitchen sink, right? If you didn't need like enriched uranium and you could just do it with like table salt, what would governments have had to have done in order to prevent like the literal end of the world? And the John Gray quote where like, there is no humanity, only humans with conflicting needs and desires. And then even up at the government level, they have the conflicts, like the genetic engineering quote. Like, what would they do? Like, it, I think we should do vulnerable world, actually, because it's kind of a good segue off of this. Because yeah. Bostrom gets into ideas and like, well, here's what would be necessary in order to prevent like the end. Or not the end, but like, you know, colossal, unimaginable destruction. I mean, it's an interesting, like, we should definitely do it. It's so funny, though, because Nat, you're right. These Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance also tied into this book in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like they're all kind of like playing around the same theme. And I'm actually, re- I'm, I'm still reading the sequel. I'm not done yet to Zen. And he talks about another concept in that book, which like also circles around some of John Gray's ideas. Like they're, they're all so related. So there's a, there's a concept he talks about in Lila, which is the giant. And it's basically like, and, and without building on the whole premise, which would take too long, but like the, basically the idea is, like you're being manipulated by this big system, obviously, that's like bigger than you. Money is like a big part of that. Like the careers you get sent into or, or, or choose to go into are influenced by it. And effectively, he's like, he uses this analogy of like this giant who's directing like the world, essentially, according to things that like no human can ever understand. And he uses like insects as like the metaphor for like, if we were to like direct an ant colony around and like, you know, the ants would have no concept of like, there's a human directing it around. And it's kind of similar in the sense that like, it's very amoral, like amoral, I guess is the right word for it. Like he's like, there's not really like, it's not like all these humans going into all these careers and he uses Wall Street as like one of the examples. It's like, it's like, it's not like you're doing this to be like a bad person or like trying to cause any destruction or harm or anything like that. You're just like doing it because that's what the system, like that's the system that you're kind of in. And you don't even know why you're doing mm. certain things. Like, it's not like you're individually aware. And kind of one of the premises in that book is like, we aren't as conscious as we think we are. <laughs> like, we have this illusion of like ourself yeah. and being like, oh, I'm in control of everything. And really, you're not really in control. So it kind of goes back to that Tao idea as well, that you're just not like, like the self is just not as powerful of a being as we give it credit for. Or potentially even rail. I mean, that's an argument I would make. Yeah. I just feel like, I don't know. I think this is all just like my reading selection. It's like everything reduces back to Taoism. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having a hard time finding a deeper route or a deeper route for all these ideas than that. It's like, (laughs) every time I pick up a new book, I I should just go reread the Tao Te Ching. (laughs) (laughs) What was the other one he mentioned in here? The other Taoist book. Was it the I Ching? There was a second Taoist thinker that he talked about who was 4th century BC. Was it the Chongsu? Yes. Yeah, there we go. Written in China during the Warring States period. I wonder why this one doesn't have the same brand recognition as the Tao Te Ching. Marketing. I hadn't heard of it until uh, 
Straw dogs. <laughs> Another thing that actually is an interesting difference between Robert Persig's ideas and one of John, uh, like the the uh, ideas here. So I have a section highlighted where in Straw Dogs, he says, again, science alone has the power to silence heretics. Today, it is the only institution that can claim authority. Like the church in the past, it has the power to destroy or marginalize independent thinkers. Mm. Uh, in fact, science does not yield any fixed picture of things, but by censoring thinkers who stray too far from current orthodoxies, it preserves the comforting illusion of a single established worldview. And I think that's like largely correct. Persig talked about that in in Leela as well, where but but the one I think bone he would pick here is that science does have a mechanism to change that worldview. Like that worldview evolves over time. It's not necessarily a it is fixed, for example, at like a given point in time. But it if you look at like our understanding of physics or our understanding of biology, like it does change over time. It is not a static value, which he uses like human societies and human morals as like fixed worldviews that go extinct if if they are not kind of in tune with like he uses like a map versus terrain type analogy it's like slightly different than that but that's the best Mm -hmm. easiest way to understand it so like if a human moral system is no longer like in tune with the actual human morals on the ground people just like abandon it essentially he uses like the victorians as like an example and like puritans before that and so human moral systems are like fixed or static. And then, but he says like science is, is different because science does have the capability to change over time. Um, and he also uses like government, like a political example as well, where he says like one interesting idea over time that seems to work really well is you have a static, uh, you have one static piece of your government, which could be your monarchy or your constitution. But then you leave enough room for change on the ground through like a parliament or a a Congress or something like that, that you can actually respond to changes on the ground. So you have to keep like a static piece and then a dynamic piece. But he said things that stay static go extinct. And then things that have this dynamism or dynamic quality, I think is what he talks about. Those can evolve and change. And those are are fundamentally different. So like, I think what's being argued in Straw Dogs is like, He's not giving science, I think, enough credit for it, it, its ability to change. What do you think makes it such that science feels like it's both? Because it does feel like it's both. Like it's both gatekeeping and... Well, what was that? Who said that quote of like, science uh, advances one funeral at a time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really good. Who was that? Who was that? I want to say it was attributed to Einstein, but... Or like... Max Planck. Uh, Max Planck. Max Planck, okay. It's one of those guys. <laughs> That's so interesting. That's such a good quote. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> it feels true though, right? Because like then the gatekeepers are just dead. So then they they don't care. The new generation doesn't care about what the old generation is gatekeeping. They have their new things that they're gatekeeping. <laughs> Imagine how much our country could advance if we didn't have zombies running it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's a great argument for age. The older, the wiser. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if that were ever true. (laughs) I mean, it might have been true when like a lifespan was 35. (laughs) (laughs) Like 60. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, wow, this guy made it to 45. I'll eat whatever he's eating. Like that's. Yeah. We probably know something. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard that's kind of a myth, though. I don't know how true that. I haven't looked into this very much, but I've heard this lifespan, like the lifespan changing thing is just largely a function of childhood mortality being yeah, fixed, not heard. actually adult lifespan. Yeah, average average age has in, or average lifespan has increased because of decreasing child mortality and decreasing random deaths from like illness. Oh, yeah, that's stuff. true. Yeah. But like the lifespan hasn't increased, right? Like. It is pretty wild that up until a hundred years ago, like if you got a mild infection, you might just die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that was just the end. Like, sorry, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing we can do for you. <laughs> like we've got some plants that are kind of antibiotic, but like only a little. <laughs> we also might, what were the things they used? Like leeches to like do blood budding or something. Right. Mm. 
I don't know, man. Like, I feel like that that kind of stuff could have a comeback. Like, blood cycling does seem to be really good for you. Maybe don't do it when you're really <laughs> sick, but leech leech therapy could make sense. That's a regular <laughs> intervention. Say say more. Say more. <laughs> one of the so one of the like possible reasons women live longer than men might be that they cycle oh. their blood more than men do. Hmm. And so there's an argument yeah. that regularly donating blood or finding finding any way to regularly get rid of some of your blood. I mean, like donating is going to be the most painless way to do it <laughs> as a man could have some meaningful like lifespan and health benefits. It's probably like an autophagy uh, similar That's thing to like fasting, right? And like your body gets rid of. I believe it. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Or you could just keep some leeches in your house. You know, yeah. Stick your feet in every night for 20 minutes. Let them pull out the bad. <laughs> Dude, somebody's going to, somebody's going to do it. Do it it's going to sure. be a new, like, it's going to be a new social media, conspiratorial crowd. Like, you know, these, we, we've genetically engineered leeches to pull the MRNA out of you. <laughs> someone's going to sell it. <laughs> Another book that we've covered that I think had some parallels here or relevance to Straw Dogs, weirdly, was um, you you might not see the immediate connection, but like Fourth Turning, uh, like his idea of cyclicality. Yeah, the cycles. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was was feeling some of those themes as I was reading it as well. Yeah. Definitely Fourth Turning, 4,000 Weeks is like the like slightly more try like touches on a lot of the same ideas, but in a little more like work focus. I mean, John gray really like, I mean, again, a lot of this just comes back to, you know, Taoism, but he's very like anti striving, right? It's like, yeah, the more you try to strive and control life, like the more you're going to be disappointed and like create your own suffering. I actually don't know anything about John gray, like as a person. His Wikipedia is interesting. I mean, there was a term I hadn't seen before until I saw it on his page, which is uh, philosophical pessimism. <laughs> I see that here, yeah. <laughs> which sounds correct, <laughs> like, as a descriptor. <laughs> uh, there's also a John Gray who's like a mega pastor. It's hilarious. I googled I googled John Gray and it was like one million Instagram followers. I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) There was one thing at the end of the book that I liked, um, where he so he has those sections where he's like, "Here are the things you should do now that you're armed with this knowledge." And he had this one quote, which was, "Gamblers wager for the sake of playing. Among those who fish for pleasure, the best fisherman is not the one who catches the most fish." but the one who enjoys fishing the most. The point of playing is that the play has no point. How can there be play in a time where nothing has meaning unless it leads to something else? In our eyes, Homo Ludens lives a life without purpose. Since play is beyond us, we have given ourselves over to a life of purposeless work instead. But how can we make our labors more playful? At present, we think of science and technology as a means of mastering the world. But the self that struggles to master the world is only a shimmer on the surface of things. The new technologies that are springing up around us seem to be inventions that serve our ends, when they and we are moves in a game that has no end. Technology obeys no one's will. Can we play along with it without laboring to master it? Hmm. Very like Nova scene, you know, the machines will come. They won't necessarily need people. Humans will become increasingly useless. So what what does humanity do if it stops trying to be useful? He's got a funny line in another one of his books, uh, Feline Philosophy, where he basically says, like, this is the state of things. Like, you can either be plugged into the matrix and, like, fully absorbed, or you can, like, recognize that all of this is nonsense and, like, try to live a life of contemplation. But doing the latter is like really, really hard. Like most people fail at it. So you should probably just accept that you're going to live this like deluded <laughs> life and just enjoy football and The Bachelor and like your nine to five job and like try not to take it all too seriously. <laughs> it's like it's kind of depressing. <laughs> Isn't this something you guys talked about with Andrew Yang where he was talking about like UBI and how 
entertainment and comfort are like more accessible than ever. So you can be like not working or underemployed, but you can still afford a PS5 and a TV and like pass that time with like leisure is more accessible would be the summary. Is am I remembering that correctly? Do you guys remember that? I think maybe we I don't know if we talked about it with him. I think Nat, we talked about it, I think, when we covered his book, but not I don't think we mentioned that to him directly, but I think that was yeah, Yeah. that was one of the themes. I mean, if you think about it though, that's brings up an interesting point about uh deflation. Like technology is it basically the only thing that the price has come down in our life that like if you think about it, there's not really anything else that you can point to where it's like it's substantially cheaper. The only thing that's unregulated. Yeah, I mean, think about how cheap the a freaking have their massive grimy little t- paws in it, dude. If you go to Costco and look at the TVs, these TVs are freaking insanely big now, and they're like a thousand dollars at most. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like it's here's like a seventy-two inch. Elf, like, right? it's like when we talked about watching Elf, and the guy brags about how big his TV is. It's like that was a thing for a while. Like your sign of wealth exactly. was if you had a big TV. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but the price is, it's and become like such a like commodity. So now. cheap. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a commodity. Yeah. It, I was I thinking mean, now about the sign of wealth is having a hidden TV. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's always those like peacocking things I think people, humans will do because we're just like other animals. We got to find a way to display our genetic advantages or prowess. <laughs> like, it's basically what we're doing. Exactly. It's the same idea. Yeah. The technology thing is really interesting because, like, yeah, it, I don't know. Nothing else has gotten cheaper if you think about it. Like, it's not like food is any cheaper. I don't think it's, I think it's more expensive, arguably, than when we grew up. Can't, on, I, on can't think of anything outside of technology. Yeah, I think entertainment. Okay, uh, Adil, to your point about entertainment, like, I think that is actually substantially cheaper. Because think about it, like, podcasts did not exist. Like, you could think of any topic you want and search for podcasts. And there's probably like seven podcasts talking about that topic. Dude, YouTube. And it's free. Yeah, yeah, you can watch an infinite amount of stuff on YouTube for free. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like it used to be go to the library and get a DVD was like the most accessible form of leisure. And even then you had to like get there. Or somehow. whatever was on television. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah one yeah. one uh one point of contention I had with his view on and this could be back to like the individualistic versus mankind framing. This whole idea of like not striving, it makes it sound like technology just kind of happens which we know is not the case. Like there are humans who work like very, very hard to make like any invention, you know, any like major company. It's not like Google just emerged from the ether, right? Or like YouTube just showed up one day. I mean, it did from one perspective, like you and I didn't do anything to make YouTube show up, but there were people working really hard to make YouTube show up. So I don't know. It's kind of, I think it goes back to individual versus mankind framing. I'll I'll give some counter to that. Like there's a, there's a really good line from another book that we did that I'm re I'm, I'm re listening to it since we've read it. Uh, the way of Zen by Alan Watts. Oh yeah. He has this great quotation in there where he's like, because that like, that's always the big conflict, right. With like Buddhism in real life is this whole, like you shouldn't strive. You shouldn't clasp onto anything. Like you can't control the world. It's like, but obviously things happen. Right. So like, how do you marry those? And he has this great line where he says, like, the the principle of Wu Wei, of, like, effortless action, is to, like, be a conduit for happy accidents, right? Mm. Like, don't, don't try to make any specific thing happen, but just do what feels intuitive and things will happen. And so, in some sense, like, YouTube did just pop out of the ether because the people who created it were probably just, like, playing around with things that were interesting to them and like trying a bunch of stuff. Fair. And then like one of them caught on. Right. And people resonated with it. And then like there, cause it like, I'm sure you've had this experience working on something too, where there is sometimes totally. like a spooky element of like, I don't know where this is coming from. Right. Like I have this, yep. <laughs> this uh, with writing all the time. It's like, I don't really know who wrote this. Right. Or like <laughs> where this came from. And I think that's what it means. He means by like non-striving. That makes a lot a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like it's kind of like if you are uh, inner, inner game of tennis. Inner game of tennis yeah, is another great I was way thinking of that one, yeah. right? Like if you if you are thinking about how to swing, you're going to swing badly. Yep. But if you let the swing happen, it's going to be a good swing. 
Yep. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So it's the non strive. It's like the striving is where you're kind of overthinking. You're, yeah, you can't think up an invention. Controlling. Like, yeah. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. You, you can make yourself a conduit for invention by, you know, exposing yourself to a lot of ideas and like generally desiring to create something and talking to people and all these things. But like that moment where the invention pops into your brain, like you didn't do that. Yeah. Like you, you like conscious thinking, striving you, like it came from somewhere else in your brain. Yeah. I mean, it's even that book. Remember we did a book, uh, happy accidents, I think literally was the title. Yeah. About uh, all the medical discoveries. It's like all of science. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like penicillin even was just like a complete accident. Yeah. I mean, really science, science is like backfitting explanations to the things that we accidentally discover. Usually like, we don't really, we, it's pretty rare that somebody like just sits down and like does science. It's much more that like something happens and then we try to explain why that thing happened. And like, that's where the science comes from. Like Einstein's super unique in that sense that he literally just like sat down and came up with relativity. Like that doesn't happen very often. Actually, wouldn't that be an example of just kind of came to him? He didn't. That's like- what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I, well, I, I, I'm saying like science, I, I was talking about a separate thing of like, like physics, like somebody didn't like sit in a room and be like, ah, physics, right? Yeah. Like we saw how things moved and then like, you know, Newton was trying to explain like, why do yeah. things move the way they do? Right. But like, like general relativity in particular is like, it's just fucking insane that he came up with that. Yeah. And because you can't observe it. You can't observe it. Yeah. Find it. Yeah. He yeah. couldn't. Yeah. It took a hundred years to get the data to confirm it. <laughs> like, I, I don't think there's been anything any other, I mean, there, I guess we wouldn't know, right? Yeah. Because like something could happen later that would confirm an idea right now. But is there, um, I feel like in astronomy and in like string theory and some of the stuff around like black holes, have they observed a lot of those things or are those like, are those oh, like things um, that emerge there from There was math? one in there too. There was, although I think they had scientific models to make these assumptions. So it's not quite like relativity, but somebody made a predictive model of what a black hole would look like or something like in some certain setting. Hmm. And then 10 or 15 years later, they found one and they're able to generate an image of it. And it like perfectly matched what they predicted it would look like. But a lot of times, a lot of times those things, that was a cool story. A a lot of times those things don't work though, too. Like Nat, one thing you said on a previous episode that I, I think you're going to be a hundred percent vindicated on this is the whole like uh, dark matter idea like that feels yeah yeah that's gonna get thrown out eventually <laughs> yeah that feels like it's a mathematical just don't understand gravity. yeah 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 <laughs> it's it's retrograde motion it's retrograde motion round two like yeah I, I've, I've seen like actual yeah. credible people talking about that too Re- like somewhat recently i saw there was some kind of article that was getting shared around that was about how dark matter may not exist <laughs> like how this like fundamental thing for the last couple decades of physics might not be a real a real thing that because it, it like it is basically placeholder. Whole, it's a placeholder exactly that's what the article is talking about how it's like basically a it basically comes from the equations that they're using and they need something to backfill it and that's like essentially the placeholder but it's probably there's yeah. an assumption that's it, just it, wrong in the the basic like the basis of that math what was the retrograde motion thing? Was it like the movement of the planets didn't make sense? It was pre pre Copernicus when we thought that when we had like a geocentric model of the solar system, but everything mm. revolved around the earth, certain planets, Mercury, Mercury is the main one, but Mercury doesn't like go across the sky like this. It goes across the sky and then it goes back and then it goes forward and then it goes back and then it goes forward and then it goes back. <laughs> And so they were like, well, how could it be going around us if it's going forward and back? And they're like, oh, it's actually doing two orbits. It's going around us like this. Like it's it's spinning around something for some reason and it's going around <laughs> us. And that's why it looks like it's going backwards, right? <laughs> and so they have these like very detailed models of how like Mercury moved in these like double orbits to explain the motion that they saw in the sky while keeping the geocentric model. But then when you realize we're all going around the sun, it's like, oh, okay, this makes perfect sense now because sometimes we're past it and then it passes us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Blindness, the big picture. 
that's like such a perfect mental model, like retrograde motion. Because once you like had that in your head of like, where are we trying to preserve something wrong, like geocentrism by constructing these really elaborate other theories like retrograde motion, right? Then it's like, okay, the real answer is probably that some, you know, the, the new version of geocentrism is wrong. And we need to like figure out what's wrong with that, not come up with like increasingly complex explanations to try to maintain the original premises. Have a lot of the, I just don't know anything about this. Like have a lot of the premises behind quantum, uh, like all the quantum theory stuff been proven in like empirically, or are those just also mathematical things? I don't know. We can't test them because of the sofons. <laughs> Wait, by the way, Netflix has been pushing the trailer really hard. Oh man. The, uh, three are, we, are we optimistic or pessimistic? I'm I am excited, but it's an awful lot of white people. <laughs> yeah, I saw I was gonna yeah. uh, that was one of my it's comments. Like, they, it's like one Asian dude in the trailer. I know. Yeah. Every single character is Asian, except for Evans. Like <laughs> Yeah. I'm surprised they're not getting more flack for that. My, my wife's yeah, on the second book it. now. She's on the second book. We saw the trailer while watching TV the other day, and she was really excited by it. But she said there's pros and cons to, to this. So her her pessimistic take is it's on Netflix, and Netflix seems to butcher a lot of these types of shows. Her optimistic take mm-hmm. is that it is the Game of Thrones. I think it's one of the Game of Thrones yeah. producers behind it. Yeah. And she was like, maybe Netflix <laughs> just paid more than HBO for the franchise rights and like it's going to be really good. But yeah, I noticed Netflix has been kind of like, (laughs) I noticed the white person thing too. Yeah. For a, for a story set in China. Yeah. Uh, Matt, were you going to say that Netflix is trying to reverse the bad streak? I, I, that would be my guess to your point, Neil is like, they, I mean, what was their last great TV show? House of cards. Yeah, it's like, been a while. Which is the, <laughs> the first Netflix original? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. Like, I mean, a- HBO has had incredible... Apple TV has just been on a fucking roll. Yeah. yeah. So, and Apple TV bought Silo. So I bet hmm. that Netflix or like these other guys competed pretty hard for three-body problem hmm. because there aren't... I mean, like, it's so weird. It feels like there's a lot of stuff to read. But if you had to think up like big sci-fi epics to read, there's The Expanse, which Amazon has. There's Three Body Problem, which now Netflix has. Like I wouldn't have thought Silo was going to get a movie deal, so it's fucking sick that or a TV deal, so it's sick that it did. And like that's on Apple. Dark Matter is getting a TV series, I think, also on Apple. So that'll be interesting. Wow. Um, have you guys read that book? No, well, Apple's doing quite a bit of sci-fi because they're also doing um, Foundation. Severance, Foundation. Yeah. I think sci-fi is, I think sci-fi is like... I think back. so too. I think it's it's making a comeback. People are excited about science yeah. again. Yeah. <clears throat> now that we're getting out of the boring software era, we can like start getting excited about Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like tech gets exciting so the books get better too. Yeah, because it's yeah. hard to make yeah. a good movie. We need like a Andrew about- drone goes rogue. <laughs> Yeah. Book. <laughs> Get Arnold back out for Terminator. There, there was an <laughs> awful, there was an awful movie based on that premise. I don't remember what it was called. Stealth. We talked about this once before, I think. Oh yeah. 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 It's the unmanned fighter pilot that the like, unmanned goes fire- rogue. Yeah. 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 And so like humans have to chase it down. Like, um, <laughs> you could do a good version of that story though. I think Terminator. <laughs> Dude, it's, I, I'm reading this, or I just I just read this old like AI goes rogue book, footprints footprints of God, footprints of God, hmm. and like with all the LLMs, these old AI books don't hold up very well. All of a sudden, is that right? What what stood out? There, like in what way? There were a couple of things. Like one, I mean, I think the big one is like server capacity. That's the one that I keep like seeing is the idea that this AI could just like go superhuman and go rogue on like a 1980s mainframe without being like connected to additional server capacity is just like absurd. Right. Cause like if our current LLMs can't like, you know, have such insane like processing requirements, 
like it's not like you could write a magic line of code that would like reduce those processing needs. Like maybe if it were already super intelligent, it could, but the like recursive self-improvement process that everyone thought would happen once you found the like magic AGI equation, like that premise seems just ridiculous now mm. because you would need like so much processing capacity to like get to that like singularity point. There's like little things like that. There's also stuff like they're, they're writing the code to do it. Like a, a, a suboptimal version isn't like writing the code for them. It's just like our experience is using GPT to write code. I'm like, why would anybody in this story be like writing code? <laughs> yeah. The computer can write it for you. <laughs> Need a new wave of good AI books. I think there will be. I think there will be. Oh yeah, Dark Matter is fun if you haven't read it. It's 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 a easy, fast paced read. Wait, is that like Blake? Blake yeah, Crouch, Crouch, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. I may yeah. have read that. I've read a couple of his books. I'm trying to remember if it's which one I've read. Did he have one called like Recursion or something like that? Yeah, Recursion is the other I've one read, that a lot of people know. I've read that one for sure. I don't know if I read Dark Matter. No, I have not read Dark Matter. It's fun. Have you guys watched Her? Yeah. No. No, I think, I think you would like it. I... I wish there were more films that were kind of like that, where it's like normal life. And then just one detail is extremely different. Like in this case, he basically yeah. has like a, a good humane AI pin that he wears around and talks to all day. Um, but because it's still sci-fi, but it feels very different from other sci-fi. It's not totally far future. Yeah. It might be far future, but there's like a vibe difference, right? Like her is like mm. a romance, right? Uh, it's sort of like how Arrival is an alien movie, but it's actually like a totally different vibe from other alien movies. Yeah. Well, we, we were talking about that a little bit. Like the idea of doing doing a like non doing a story in a science fiction universe where the main conflict isn't something to do with science technology is like an interesting idea. So, like, yeah, her is a romance in a science fiction mm-hmm. universe. Like Arrival is like a linguistics mystery in a <laughs> science fiction universe. Yeah. In the trailer yeah, for like Three I... Body Problem, they showed like a humanoid type alien, which I didn't necessarily appreciate. <laughs> I wonder if that's how they're doing the simulation in like in the game. I that's you know? what I was that was my thought as well. Mm-hmm. Might be how they're representing it for the game. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, that was one of my favorite things about the book is that they left that like very vague. Yeah. They're going to have to make a decision at some point. Well, actually, maybe not. Could you get away with not ever showing a trisolarian? I think so. I don't know. I, obviously, I'm not you a show. You could find a way to no do idea, it. Because <laughs> like there, there are scenes that involve talking amongst the trisolarians and to them. But you could do all of those scenes as reading the discussions from the human side. Hmm. Like, I'm sure you could find some way to get around it. It's just so much better when that's left to the imagination. Like the first season of Stranger Things or uh, A Quiet Place where they don't really fixate on the visual. And you kind of just, it's whatever, it's nothing can be as scary as what you imagine. In some ways, the most recent Stranger Things season was disappointing in that sense, having like a humanoid bad guy from um, the Upside Down. Like, it felt like it took some of that like Intrigue. super spooky mystery out of it. Yeah, yeah. We should cover the three body problem uh, three when body. it comes out. We should. Do, oh yeah, we should do the show. So down. It's yeah. a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys read the uh, Redemption of Time? Is that that uh, the one that's like the official I that name? Is it's what? like the fan fiction oh, fourth book, book right? that? No, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, it keeps Lucy getting promoted. Basically, said I bought a copy. If you guys are down, I would be super down. I'm definitely going to read it because if he made it canon and it's fan he did. fiction, he, he did. He did. Yeah, I'm saying if he if he made it canon, it must be good. It's actually yeah. a great point. Bao Shu, right? It's the guy who wrote it. But it has a title styled very similar to the rest of the series. And not, not a title, a uh, cover. 
Dude, we should do this. I'd be, I am down. (laughs) All right. Any final thoughts on Mr. John Gray? Uh, Don't take the Goodreads reviews seriously. (laughs) Oh, what are the Goodreads reviews? They are at least the, at least the first few that show up are just, they're all like one stars. They're like people really hated this book. I first saw that and I was like, I was like, why did Nat recommend this book? And then I actually got, I mean, I disagreed with a lot of things he said, but I enjoyed the breed. Like I thought it was good, even though I would, I like fundamentally disagree with a few things, but it was still a good read. Okay. He he has a new book out, the new Leviathans uh, thoughts after liberalism. Hmm. And he has some just like incredible critiques of like, modern liberalism and like quote unquote woke woke culture in here. And there's just this one, where is it? Uh, Well, I'm not going to read like a super long passage, but it's entertaining and it's short. It's like 120 pages. There was some of that in this book too. Yeah. Yeah. The John Stout review on Goodreads. I kind of, (laughs) I vibe with. Sorry, I'm reading Goodreads <laughs> reviews. <laughs> you see what I mean? Like that are pretty, pretty brutal. <laughs> some of these. Okay, wait. Uh, let me let me just read you guys this because this is just hilarious. In their economic aspects, woke movements are a revolt of the professional bourgeoisie. As capitalism concentrates wealth and power in ever smaller sections of society, university professors, media figures, lawyers, charity workers, community activists, and officers in non-government organizations face increasing competition, falling incomes, and dwindling status. Elites have been produced in numbers greater than society can absorb. If Western capitalism creates an expanding underclass without any productive function, it also produces a lumpen intelligentsia that is economically superfluous. The result in both cases is to destabilize the political system through which this type of capitalism reproduces itself. It's great. Woke is a career as much as a cult. By advertising their virtue, redundant graduates hope to gain a foothold on the crumbling ladder that leads to safety as one of society's guardians. Is the whole book just him railing on on woke people? No, that's literally just like maybe 10, 15% of it. An aside. Yeah, the first two thirds is talking about like Leviathan by Hobbes and like the evolution Mm. of the state and like going from, you know, not monotheism, like kings and like stronger governments to more liberal governments and how like, you know, in the beginning that starts out great, but it naturally leads to like a decaying of the institutions over time. And so we end up in like the situation we find ourselves in now. Hmm. Um, and he's, he's basically arguing that that's not a failure of liberalism. That is a consequence of it. And there's going to need to be some sort of rejuvenation into a like some kind of stronger political or social structure than we have right now, if we're going to like make it as a society. Super interesting. What would you say? What, what would yeah. you say is the best John Gray book of the ones you've read? Straw dogs. Yeah. Okay. But I also like, I like, I like John Gray. Like I don't agree with everything, but I agree with like enough of it. Yeah. Um, also he writes in that but cranky old once, man style, with, with the clear. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I love the cranky old man. <laughs> Like, but with, with the clarification that it's, um, like that, that he's talking about like that kind of progress that we discussed, yeah. right? Like, I, I, I do think there's this strong strain in him of like, we've basically just outsourced our self responsibility. Mm-hmm. And like, for a while, we just thought that like, oh, if, you know, we just believe in God and follow the church, then like everything will be taken care of for us. And now it's like, oh, if we just believe in science and believe in the state, then everything will be taken care of for us. And like, especially the more recent one has just been consistently shown to be not true and is in many ways like making people's lives worse. And the only way out of that is to like retake responsibility for your own life and like recognize where that outsourcing has failed. And I think that's a very powerful message. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of the other stuff maybe doesn't come across as well. The stronger parts of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, I I just had a vision of you as an cranky old man writing a book about your philosophical Uh, thoughts it's gonna be incredible (laughs) give me like three years (laughs) i i aspire to be a 30 year old cranky old man (laughs) i actually think actually you know what 
maybe it's all the zen stuff you've been consuming but it's like i feel like you've gotten less cranky old man vibes as like in recent years <laughs> like in the ever since you like the yeah, last probably, that's true i would say i haven't like if we go back by listen to like early episodes of the show versus now like now you're much more like i don't know zen about everything <laughs> yeah I, I definitely think i know a lot less now which is probably a sign that i know a lot more <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> now we're getting I've made it to the, the cra- second part of the dunning exactly. curve yeah yep. <laughs> uh, all right well next book right. is i gotta go do uh, pick up we're doing essays next right yeah uh, what, next what one is algernon algernon yes yeah that's oh algernon good. and then essays that's right cool and then essays yep. yeah yeah Awesome. Uh, leave a review. Okay. Check out the website, I guess. We're making the announcement at some oh, point. Yeah. <laughs> website? Oh, yeah. We can do a short update before the update episode, but we have a new website, and it's designed like a library. So you can go and peruse things by topic. You can view our series in order. You can search for a specific Great. episode or book that you're interested in. It's much better than the chronological. It. it is, it is much- sick. It's cool. Yeah. Take a look. Send us some feedback. You can also now uh, leave us recommendations for books. So we love yeah, to get recommendations. Yeah. That's made you think podcast.com. Boom. Send us Rex. Leave a review. Nat made stupid errors with the DNS. <laughs> no, it was uh, turned a mistake into an opportunity. So <laughs> good <There we> job. Go. <laughs> All right. Good work, team. Next week. Good work, team. See you guys next week. See ya. See you next week.